0: the reason i like to talk about staying healthy and balanced in the roles we inhabit in our lives is that something that i think that all of us can and we can touch we can feel we you know we enact it it's not just a concept welcome to the inspiro podcast
1: the podcast exploring personal growth leadership strategy communication and fulfillment we are your hosts Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling
0: future. Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're gonna be exploring a lot of topics and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice. The number one topic that people walk up to me with is self-care. Now they may or may not title it that way. They may be, well, I have this problem. But so many times it gets down to self-care. I discovered that many dentists have what I call the parking lot moment. First thing in the morning, they drive to the parking lot of their practice. They shut off the car. They sit in the car. And they go, I don't want to go in there. And they, they rally. They make themselves go into work. That little parking lot moment. And, and sometimes they'll talk to me about it or something similar with this kind of joking thing. But to me, it's not a joke. You're going to, you're going to do like every morning you'll be spending your life doing this. And somehow you can't, you can't seem to love it or you can't seem to love it anymore. And somehow you've started to hate it. And so my, my alarm system's going off. So that sounds like self-care to me. Uh, it's like, well, what should I do with my practice? And should I do this? Or should like, well, why don't we start with what would it take to take care of you? And then we'll talk about what kind of practice you need. And then we'll talk about what team you need to make that practice. happen. I mean, but let's start with what does it take to take care of you? Uh, so that you, so that you're having some sort of energy, some sort of joy, some sort of intellectual connection, emotional connection. What's, what's out of balance that's blocking that or preventing that and, Why not be driving to work thinking, this is cool, I get to be a dentist. I see it mostly in what people are avoiding dealing with. Not because they are wimps, okay? It's because they feel helpless or they have no idea how to fix it. But they tend to project it outwards. I've got this person on my team and I just don't know what to do. Strangely enough, I start to see that as a self-care. How are you taking care of yourself? And then I find out, well, I've been avoiding conflict with this person for 18 months. Well, that's not taking care of yourself. We could talk about it as a leadership problem, we could talk about this practice, but I could also boil it down to you you're sacrificing a lot of your self-care to avoid doing this thing that you don't want to do. Yep. Okay. Interestingly,
1: when you were talking about both of those things, I immediately was going to, what do people write or oftentimes fail to write in the first draft in writing a vision about their future? Most people write about the success of the practice. They write about finances. They write about the vacation and the house and the car and the how old the kids are going to be in high school and college. And the practice is producing XYZ. We have this many employees and this many new patients, but it's only after some poking and prodding that we hear, I want to go into a practice that I enjoy arriving in the morning. Or I liked hearing laughter throughout the office every day. And those aspects of it that you're alluding to.
0: You know, William Glasser was uh terrific psychologist in the in the 60s. And he talked about different needs. But I love it that one of the needs he talked about for people was play. I think play is really important. It gets a bad rap. It's like, well, if you're playing, you're not working. If you're playing, you're not serious. If you're playing, like, by play, I mean, when we are able to liberate that sense of curiosity and creativity, where we not we don't just see problems but we see multiple opportunities for solutions where we're connected to the people around us not just in a sense of uh i say this you say that but in a sense that we're working together uh to me play is all of those things um, one of the things that i do when people come in and they think they're depressed i said was the last time you played And if they can't remember, yeah, you're probably depressed.
1: I took a a course a few years ago. It's Wow, it's probably been 15 years ago. That was all about incorporating play in our daily lives, the importance of it. And it was mostly around the fact that we don't play physically anymore. When we look at exercise, for example, we look at it as a task to be done, not a play thing. And so this was a weekend course. It was all about how to integrate more playful things in our movements that we do. So it involved like rolling on the ground and crawling on the ground and acting like different animals and crawling in a tree and things you haven't done since you were a kid and you get dirty doing it, but you have fun doing it. And at the end of the, the course or just the session, you're laughing you're sweating, you feel good. And so just I'm I'm just reiterating that we have lost that play, attitude, and application in our Mm -hmm. lives that can be as obvious as going and climbing a tree, but it can also be incorporated in things we do daily
0: and and try to make them more playful. As often uh, happens, I've got a client right now who is coming up with critical success indicators not for their job, but for their life? You know, that sort of dashboard. Not not every everything, but the dashboard. How do you know your finances are in range? Your health is in range, your relation primary relationships in range. Uh, and, and they're like, huh, oh, I never thought about this. Like, well, what do you need to look at to know? I mean, we've got to start with self-care. What the heck? How do I even know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And most well, most of us haven't haven't spent the time to figure out how how would we know what's important, what should it look like, uh, what is our vision enough to know are we even anywhere approximately there?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good segue to get us back on track with our an introduction to the topic, and the, so we do want to do this or start the series on self care and. Self-care can take many forms and is involved with all the different roles that we do have for ourselves. So we're going to talk about those as well in just a second. The idea of self-care items has a long history of discussion amongst people in physical wellness, people in psychological wellness, and... Beyond that. So if you are someone that has explored this before, you may have seen the wheel of life that I think has 12 items on it. Uh, there's a wheel of wellness that came out in uh, the year 2000 by a few researchers that has um, eight items on it. And there's a university that actually uses a eight items item wheel for their students as Clarion University. Uh, The Panky Institute, who many of our dental listeners will recognize as a a place that's been around for, I think, close to 70 years now, uh, somewhere in that range. And they have something called their Panky Cross, which is based on the philosophy of the founder, L.D. Panky, and they've narrowed it down to four items, work, play, love, and worship. So, in our discussions, I've found that different people can appreciate different numbers of these categories. Some of them just become kind of redundant for people. Some have definite differentiation. So, I think Bill and I have agreed that we're going to try to focus on five in this discussion. That's physical, mental, emotional, professional, and spiritual. So we'll be looking at how to take care of ourselves in those five areas, but we're going to be doing it from the reference point of the different roles that we play in life. Mm -hmm. So some people are going to play a role as dentist, as husband or wife, as father or mother, as a child, as sibling, as grandchild, grandmother, grandfather, and Bill, I think you're going to take us through some of those roles, hopefully, that I may have missed there, but we'll explore what those roles mean for us in our lives and how each of those self-care categories can be influenced or impacted within those roles.
0: Sound good? Sounds good to me. Actually, let me start with um why we even have to talk about self-care. Yeah. It's it's funny because I'll I'll be talking about that or I'll do some presentation, I'll include that. And almost always somebody later comes up and is kind of poo-pooing the self-care. Oh, why do we have to talk about it? I mean, you know, come on, everybody's always, you know, we're supposed to be working and we're supposed to be getting this done. And and I'm hearing this whole other philosophy really. They don't they don't know it's a Philosophy is a worldview, but it is um, that that there isn't necessarily a place for self-care. And I, my usual response is the reason we have to discuss self-care is because we have a big cultural uh, worldview that somehow self-care is selfish, or trivial, or you're only thinking of yourself. And you should be get you should get to work. You're being lazy. Uh, how come you get self-care? What I usually chalk that up to is if you're really ensconced in that worldview where you think that that life has to be hard and work has to be hard and maybe even demeaning, uh, then it really bothers you if other people are trying to take care of themselves. Um, it, it's, it's like a red flag. I, I, I grew up in Southeast Texas where you know, I had a bunch of ranchers and... You know, these guys led hard lives and then they they really were disturbed if you weren't leading the same hard life. Um, You know, remember one time it was 98 degrees and probably about 98 percent humidity. And I was out digging a post hole. And the next thing that happened to me is I thought, hmm, grad school sounds good. Uh some of the old guys around like, you're going to go back to school. What are you even thinking? You know, what's this like? No, I don't want to dig another post hole. No, just, on, just on that, there's got to be something more interesting to do with my life uh, than that. But it, it really was disturbing to them. So sometimes when you start talking about self-care, or we start talking about self-care, it's going to disturb some people because they're not taking good care of themselves and they don't believe they should. Because at, at base, self-care is also about self-esteem. It asks the question, are you worth taking care of? And if, if you've been doubting that in your life for whatever reason, self-care is going to put you right up next to that question. Do I deserve to be healthier? Do I deserve to have people treat me with respect? Do I deserve to have a, a good financial future? You know, all of those are about, oh, what, what is... What do I deserve? And that, wow, that can that can bounce off some serious self-esteem. I want to come back to that because I don't want to lose the two thoughts in my head.
1: Uh, so the first is to add to the reasons to do self-care. The better you take care <laughs> of yourself, the better you will be able to take care of others. Yes. And... That, I think, is also often overlooked, that people feel the need to neglect themselves because they have to, in quotes, take care of someone else, whether it's a parent that's aging and sick or a child or whatever it may be. And so they feel the necessity to neglect themselves in the argument of taking care of that other person instead. Yes. And I would argue that if you were to take care of yourself better, you can care for those other people even
0: better. You know, one of the things I talk to my interns about is I say, you know, we're in a personal performance business. That's what people buy from us. They don't care what we did last week. We don't, they don't care where we went to school. They care what we're going to do in 50 minutes with them on a Thursday afternoon at two o'clock. That's what they care about. That's what they're buying. And they're and they're paying good money for it. So that I encourage my interns to think about this as an athlete. Did you get sleep the night before? Are you going to take some time to have lunch and maybe a little bit of rest and reading, you know, take a break during, le- are, are you going to give yourself what it takes? So, not so that you're, you know, nine o'clock or 10 o'clock sessions are good, but so your six or seven o'clock sessions are good. You know, they they deserve this, the same level of performance that you gave to your 10 o'clock client. And that's about you looking after your personal performance.
1: Yeah, and that requires really paying attention to when you perform well and when you don't and then being able to dissect that so that you can head that off before it happens. That's that's the typical afternoon crash, right? You you have a crazy busy morning, you cram lunch in of a couple donuts that the specialist might have dropped off to your office, a can of Coke because you're in a hurry. And then the first half hour after lunch, you're going gangbusters and then two o'clock rolls around and you're crashing. Mm-hmm. You don't know how you're going to make it to the end of the day because you just crashed. And that gets to... Knowing that certain self-care things. So this one's more about nutrition, but mm-hmm. I mean, we will get to that. But
0: um I, I really you know, one of the things I respect about you is that you you are so knowledgeable about the physical side of self-care. Um I I tend to see like what the day you just outlined, the the disaster you just outlined, also though from an emotional standpoint,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, as as we physically don't feel well, we also emotionally don't feel well. Right, and so it's easy to try to not just manage your 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 diet and your energy level, but to manage your feelings through a donut for lunch. Um, It will it will make you feel momentarily sort of, you know, high and jazzed, and you. I mean, we both know it's there's a crash and there's but but it will boost your emotions. Mm -hmm. and and act as a bridge to keep carrying you on and so one of the things that i see sometimes are people um you know sacrificing their physical uh, um self-care just to feel better in that moment to make it through just that afternoon where they're just they are they are not they are no longer confident that they can make it through and do a good job Mm -hmm. but if they Boost sugars or whatever, it, it gives you the feeling that maybe maybe you can, More. or a ton of caffeine. Maybe, yeah, really, I am alert. I can really do this. That's a great point. That all of these topics
1: we're going to talk about are interrelated. Mm-hmm. There is n- none of these are in a silo. the The things you eat affect your emotional state as well as your physical state and your cognitive state, and vice versa for all of those in, it's a it's all arrows pointing in both directions when we're talking about these topics. So that's a important point, I think, that you just hit on that we can't put a bold and underline and highlight on enough. So we will, even though we're going to try and talk about these in five different sections, we're going to be talking about all of them <laughs> within each section because of how they're interrelated
0: and as we go through we may spot out the links to the other ones that we'll yep. track down a little more yep. in a subsequent podcast.
1: Uh I want to before we move on to physical I do want to touch still on that self-esteem piece you brought up and I think that's a really valuable thing for us to take a bit of a tangent down and maybe even allow you to talk a bit more about theory even and the the value and the problem with self-esteem, ego, that kind of stuff that comes into play when we're talking about
0: self-care. Yeah. Well, let's take a moment to talk about, you know, yeah. self-image, self-esteem. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we all have a version of ourselves in our heads. Uh, and And this version is often comparative, particularly if you're in a profession. You know, if I'm a counselor, how am I stacked up against other counselors? Uh, if I'm a dentist, how am I doing compared to other dentists? OK, so that's one piece. Uh, the other piece of self-esteem is, you know, often affected by relationship. And you know, what do other people, what do other people care about me? If if they do, then I might have pretty good self-esteem. If If they clearly don't, then that might really decrease my self-esteem. And so, okay, you know, mm. but there's also another piece of self-esteem, which is historical. How was I taught to think of myself as a person? And yeah, I'm a counselor, so I tend to head back toward childhood, but that is how we learn who we are. Basically, it's a struggle for us as human beings to treat ourselves better than our parents treated us. Say that. We, Say that again. It's a struggle for us as human beings to treat ourselves better than our parents treated us. Now, we can do it, but it's a struggle. The, the default setting will be to treat us the same. So if our parents treated us well with a sense of kindness and respect and um, preserved our, our talents and encouraged our performance... Hey, you know, we're going to do the same things with ourselves. But if our parents were uh, jealous of our intelligence or needed to have some sort of dominance to to make their parenting style work, then we're going to have that image of ourselves inside. And a lot of times, um, you know, years ago when I first started this business, I suddenly realized how much we do to keep our parents right. If they told us that we're a good boy and a smart boy, then we go out and we do good things and we're, and we're smart. And, and part of that's to keep them right because we love our parents and we, you know, we... But if they told me I was a bad boy and I was stupid, I might be tempted to do that to keep them right. So we're handed an image of ourselves And it sounds like, oh yeah, but we'll just change that when we're adults. To do that would mean our parents were wrong. Maybe even our culture is wrong. Maybe the people around us were wrong. And so that's a big shift. That's not a small shift. That's a huge shift. Many of us have worked on that in our lives to move from what we were taught to think of ourselves to freeing that up so we could reconstruct an image of ourselves that included our good parts, our smart parts, our creative parts, whatever parts will have, have a place and a sense of acceptance. So self-esteem is is complicated and it's also deep and tends to be historical. And that's why sometimes it's very hard in the present to grap- grapple with it because uh, the, the seeds were sown a long time ago. Mm-hmm. We're just seeing the fruit that shows up.
1: That So that makes me think of the uh, beliefs, behaviors, and results triad that uh, I learned from you and Bob initially and ha- have now read it from others as well that talk about anything related to behavior change and how My understanding, we can start from any one of those three areas as a starting point to try to elicit some sort of change, but it's ultimately eliciting a belief change that has the foundational long-term
0: impact for long-lasting change. And I'll push this a little farther that that belief that we're talking about is your belief in what you deserve. The right. World. That's right. That's right. So that's
1: that's where I was going with that is that's what you're talking about being kind of the hardest thing to change is the belief that is has been there since you were a kid that was taught by your parents, basically, it, whether it was conscious or subconscious. And n- trying to change that belief can be
0: very difficult or often yes. is very difficult I it's difficult and it's emotionally disturbing to to think about
1: mm-hmm. that was great that was um more profound than I was expecting to go on on that intro but that was fantastic it actually helped me understand that in a better way so thank you thanks for listening to this episode where we introduced our next series for you. We're going to focus on self-care. Our next episode will concentrate on the physical aspects of self-care and we'll continue moving on from there. As always, reach out to us at inspiropodcast at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions. Thanks.